0: with us tonight uh, for our live stream service here at ocean county baptist church Uh, we're going to be looking in john chapter 15 we're going to be reading verses 9 through 17 uh, sharing a message entitled no greater love no greater love and so it's a follow-up to our message that we had this morning Uh, we looked at the basics of love and so we want to follow up now on this thought here of no greater love. While you're opening your Bibles to John 15 in uh, verse 9, uh, just a couple of uh, things to remind you about. Remember, we're planning on opening up uh, in-person worship together uh, on March the 7th. That's the first Sunday in March. It's only a couple weeks from now. And so you want to put that on your calendar. We would ask you to wear masks and do social distancing, and you know the routine, so uh, just plan on doing that as you come in the building. Uh, The other thing is, uh, I want to encourage you to uh, be faithful in your giving. Uh, You can mail in your offerings right now while we're only having live stream. You can mail it to the church, or you can go on our website at ocbcministries.org, and you can give online. And uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, way to do that and easy to do that. I know when we got online giving set up uh, a while ago that I just set it up because just a regular offering just automatically is given each week so I don't have to worry about making out a check or mailing it in or whatever. And so uh, that's a uh, good opportunity for you to be able to, uh, in an easy way, uh, keep your giving going, Uh, while we're doing the live streaming only. So, John chapter 15 in uh, verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye my friends, if you do whatsoever, I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for servants knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I called you, have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father it may be given you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. And uh, as we continue this uh, thought or this theme on the love of God uh, today, and especially in this message, Lord, I pray that you help us to uh, uh, really comprehend uh, the depth uh, and the, the, really the impact that the, the sacrifice of Christ has uh, on us. Uh, There is no greater love than a man shall lay down his life for his friends. And so, Lord, help us understand this great love that you have for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 13 is our text. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so, a few things here. In the passage, as we read through, we see an expression of love because uh, in verse 9, Jesus compares his love for us to that of his, the love of the Father for him. Notice in verse 9, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you, continuing ye in my love. And so there's this uh, expression of love, is just simply this. He wants us to understand as, as deeply committed and involved the love of the Father for the Son that that is what we experience of the love of christ for us and so it it encompasses everything that we are and everything that we can uh, be and everything that we can experience is based on the fact that he loves us with an everlasting love that is binding and life-changing so he says as the father has loved me so have i loved you continue ye in my love how can we continue in the love of christ is because of the fact that uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he loved us yesterday, he loves us today. And if he loves us today, he's going to love us tomorrow. And so there's a great expression of love here in comparison of the Father with the Son. But then in verse 10 is the action of love. These are just some introductory thoughts as we go into the message It says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so the action of love is responding to the the permanency of the love of God upon us. He says, uh, well, you keep my commandments, uh, you're going to abide in my love. And it's hard for us to enjoy the love of God, when we're not in fellowship with the Lord because we break his commandments. You know, Paul said, "Uh, brethren, if a man's overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And he says, bear ye one another's burdens. And so how, how can we enjoy the love of God if we're not keeping his commandments? How can we enjoy the experience of uh, the love of God working in us and through us if we're not mindful of the fact that love is more than just a statement. Love is action. And uh, if I tell my wife I love her, but then I never want to talk with her, and never want to be with her, never want to try to make her feel good about herself, I never want to do anything to encourage her, there would be a big question mark on whether he really loves me or not. And so, uh, God says this, if you keep my commandments, you're going to abide in my love. And uh, because by keeping the commandments of God, we fulfill the action of love. There's the evidence that we are truly the children of God. And so we see the expression of love. We see an action of love. Then in verse 11, we see the emotion of love. Notice he says, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. And so the emotion of love, uh, it's it's exciting. Uh, it's it's life changing. Uh, there there is joy unspeakable and full of glory, the Bible says. And so because of the fact that God loves us, we can enjoy that relationship. And, and if, we're not, if we're not walking in the realm of the, and, uh, the fellowship of the love of Christ, uh, how can you be happy as a Christian? Uh, the most, most difficult thing, I think, for a person who says that they are a Christian is not to be able to experience the joy of the Lord because we just walk out of fellowship with God. And yet the Lord has offered to us his love and we can enjoy his, his being with us uh, because of the fact that he loves us so desperately. And so I see the expression of love. I see the action of love. I see the emotion of love. Uh, I see in verse 12 the instruction of love. In verse 12 it says, this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you and I'm, I'm thankful that when the bible gives us a command that it gives us an example jesus said i've given you an example to do as i have done and i'm thankful that it, there's just not uh christ barking out laws at us but rather jesus says wait a minute you're to love one another as i have loved you and so there's always an example Uh, that is uh, given to us on how we're to to love one another. You know, through the Bible, you find that love is defined in several different ways. Here's a quote I came across. So this love is a variety of different feelings, states, attitudes that ranges from the impersonal affection to the pleasure. And uh, what they mean by that is just simply this. I can say that I... Love my mother. Uh, that's an interpersonal relationship. I can say I love my wife. That's an interpersonal relationship. And But love is more than that. Uh, love can be stated as a reference to a pleasure. I can say I, I love steak. Uh, that's not an emotional connection. <laughs> it's an enjoyable connection because I do enjoy steak. Uh, I love steak. Uh, but wait a minute, my love for steak does not compare to my love for my wife. And so when we speak about love, it, it, it involves all this aspect of expression and action. It deals with emotions. It deals with instruction that we follow. And so uh, love uh, has to be understood that there's, there is a greater response or experience through love, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You know, the ancient Greeks would identify different forms of love by different words. We, we use one word. We say love. Uh, but the reality in the Greek language, uh, love uh, had different names or different words to express what that love is. For instance, oh, well, there were four different forms of love. There was love that meant and spoke to this matter of kinship or familiarity, you know, it would be the Greek word storage. And, uh, and so when you would when use the Greek word storage, you were just talking about a kinship with one with another. Uh, you weren't talking about an agape type of love, a sacrificial type of love, uh, you're just identifying. In other words, I have a, a love for my family that you do not have because you my family is not your family uh, my family you don't know but there is there so my love for my family is different than what your love would be towards my family and so it uses the word love to show forth kinship then there's the greek word phileo which means friendship and uh we can have a, a love for one another Uh, based on the fact that we are friends with one another that does not compare to our love that we may have for our spouse or for our children. And so when we we talk about love, uh, the Greek language was very specific in helping us to understand what is this love that we're talking about? Is it kinship? Or is it just the fact that it's philia where it's just friendship? And then there was the Greek word eros, And that means romantic desires. That's where we get our English word erotic. And uh, so um, it would speak about romantic desires. And so you certainly wouldn't say if you loved your wife in a very physical way that, uh, oh, I phileo her. No, no. That's the wrong word to use. Uh, It's a very expressive emotional connection. And then, of course... There's this a word agape, which is a self-emptying or divine type of love that's sacrificial. And so when you talk about love, when you read in the scriptures about love, I, I'm, I'm ex- excited about the fact that the Bible is very specific in about how that love impacts you. That's why Jesus, in this passage, is speaking so much about love And then comes to this conclusion that greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so, no greater love. And let's take it beyond the basics of love, as we saw this morning, and let's look at this no greater love. First of all, this love is great uh, because we're unlovely. You know, God loves us when we were yet sinners. Uh, God loved us when we uh, literally were enemies against him. God loved us when we were living our life totally in rebellion against him. And yet, oh, uh, he still loves us with a love that will deliver us from all the bondage and all of our sin. And so it's a love that is greater uh, than anything because of the fact... He loves us when we were unlovely. All have sinned in Romans three twenty-three. for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And oftentimes what we do, in, in, we live in a world where we want to try to make everything acceptable, every one acceptable, that we don't want to state the obvious. And the obvious is, as man is a sinner, and his sin has caused him to violate God's laws and God's commands, but yet in that state of mind, in that state of action, God still loves us with a love that will deliver us because in that state, God sent his son in this world to die on Calvary for the one reason to save our soul, to deliver us from the judgment of God And so we've all sinned, and so it's a greater love. When he said, talk about a man laying down his life for his friends, it's a greater love because it's not being laid down based on the goodness of man or the deservedness of man. It is being offered uh, when man has no justification to have any sacrifice offered for him, for all have sinned. You know, the Bible says we are all as filthy rags in Isaiah 64 and 6. And uh, uh, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I think of Job. He had boils all on his body. And I was reading commentary years ago. And it was saying about the fact that he, there were so many boils. They would take shells and scrape uh, the, uh, the uh, infection and everything off of their skin. And uh, that's what God feels about us. That's what we are without Christ as our Savior. Uh, we are, our life is as those rags that are wrapping up and taking in all of that infection and soaking it up. That's what God looks at our life as without Christ. But yet God still loved us that he sent his son in this world to die for us. So there is no greater love that a man should lay down his life for his friends. And so uh, we are all sin, we are all filthy rags, and we're literally all against God. You know, David said in Psalm 51 and verse four, against thee only have I sinned. And I, I think sometimes we forget to identify the fact of who it is that has been offended by our sinfulness, and our, the offense is before God, but yet God still has showed us love in that he, when he sent his son into this world to die for us, uh, he was willing to love us when we were unlovely, and uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, says, evil things are easy things, for they are natural to our fallen nature. Right things are rare flowers that need cultivation. And listen, anybody can live a wicked life. It it goes with their nature. Anybody can despise God. Uh, People act like this. Sometimes people act like this is great revelation that, wait a minute, I hate God and I don't want anything to do with God and I don't believe in God. That's not hard to do. That's the nature of man. And, uh, but the reality is, God wants to work in our life and produce righteousness in our life. And that requires a cultivation, that requires a spiritual growth, a motivation, if you will, that rejoices in the goodness of God and the love of Christ that is in our hearts. And it enables us to blossom. Uh, as believers in Christ, it's based on the fact that God loves us when we're not lovely. And not uh, Charles Spurgeon went on to say this: Sin has sprung from a royal, a royal though evil stock, and if it be in the heart, it will struggle for the throne. As we saw this morning, we're supposed to, to, to love begins with God in that we are to love the Lord with all of our heart. The issue is this. If we allow sin to dwell in our hearts, it will take the throne of our heart. It'll take this, the, the central attention away from God and focused on ourselves or on the devil or on this world or on the desires of the flesh and, uh, and we won't experience the joy of the Lord and the deliverance and forgiveness of God because we're rejecting the love of Christ. And yet there's a greater love that is being offered and that is the love that, wait a minute, Jesus came into this world and he laid down his life for us. And so it's gr- the greater love is great because of the fact that we were unlovely. I see a second thing here. The no greater love, it's greater because of his suffering. In other words, the suffering of Christ. And uh, in Isaiah 53, and we've often gone back to that passage, the prophecy, and uh, uh, speaks about Christ coming. The Messiah uh, will be rejected. Uh, He'll be despised. And uh, uh, when you think of the love of God loving you so much that he would send his son into this world to to really have to face and deal with all the false accusations that would be raised against him. In Isaiah 53, and verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, And we esteemed him not. Uh, Surely he had borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And so Jesus Christ came into this world. And he would have to face the false accusations that would come against him. And those accusations, the suffering he would go through was simply the fact that he was showing mankind how great and how desperately deep God loves us because of the fact that we're rejecting the one who is bringing to us the love of God. And so, uh, you know, Jesus was accused of false uh, healings. Uh, He gave sight to the blind man. We remember... A story in John chapter 9 when Jesus will be in contact with the blind man and he'll heal him and he will give him his sight. But the interesting thing is that when he gave this blind man his sight, he was declared as not being true. As the blind man would tell people about this man Jesus who gave him sight, they would declare it to be untrue. Uh, those that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would come against Christ, they would literally call this man who was blind into question and want to know uh, well, who was it that healed him? And where is this person that healed you? Uh, because of the fact that they were uh, stating that Jesus Christ did not heal this man, but rather they are condemning him because of the fact that they're saying that it is not true. Jesus Christ, you think of all that he revealed about the Father and all that he did when he was on this earth, would have to face the false accusations that would come against him. And he would do that willfully, why? Because he came to show us the love of God by laying down his own life. In John chapter nine, we read about the rich man, I'm sorry, the blind man, and he said, there, this is he, others said, he, he is like him, but he said, I am he. So there's great controversy over this matter of whether this fellow was actually blind or not, whether this was actually the person who was blind or is it someone else? And he confirms that it is he. And then he testifies to the fact that Jesus told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam and he received his sight. And so the, the accusations that Jesus would have to suffer uh, because of the fact uh, that man would not accept his sacrifice of himself uh, on the cross. And so he gave the sight to the blind man, but he was called a liar. You know, Jesus would give, forgive sins of the paraplegic in Mark chapter 2. And when he would be willing to forgive this man of his sins, uh, those that were around there declared that he was blaspheming. And, uh, and so Jesus said, well, wait a minute. What, what is harder or what is greater, uh, to forgive sins or to say to rise up and take your bed and walk? And so Jesus would heal this paraplegic to show to the crowds that he, had, he was God in the flesh who came into this world to sacrifice himself for the sinfulness of man and that he was able to forgive sins on this earth. But you think of all that Christ suffered in reference to the false accusations. You know, I think one of the things I can't stand, well, there's a couple of things. Well, maybe more than a couple, (laughs) but anyway, I can't stand a thief. You know, my wife and I were, were robbed when we were in Bible college. We had nothing, and yet what little bit we had, they broke into our house and, and took it. I hate a thief. But the other thing I hate is a liar. And it's just, it's always interesting that they say that if you say something that's not true long enough, people will start believing it. I hate a liar because they won't tell the truth. And so this man, Jesus Christ, came into this world to become this sacrifice to show us how great the love of God is for us by laying down his life for us. And he would have to live a life of false accusations, the suffering of Christ. And then I thought, you know, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here is the, the epitome of everything that is trustworthy, honest, and truthful is seen and experienced in the person of Jesus Christ, but yet he'll be accused of being blasphemer. He would be accused of not telling the truth. And so I see false accusations. When, you th- when we read a verse like we read for our text, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, It's almost trivial when we read it, because we read it and we don't think about what that involved for Christ to lay down his life for his friends. And when he laid down his life for his friends, it was a greater love because of the suffering that was associated uh, with his sacrifice. So it was false accusations. It was public humiliation and mockery. Uh, you think of Jesus Christ being called to question uh, by the high priest Caiaphas. Uh, you, you think about the false witnesses that were brought before him. Uh, you, you think, you, listen, you think about uh, the, the beating of Jesus Christ. Uh, you think about the plucking of his beard. You think of all the physical torment that Jesus went through in his life and uh, just for the purpose of dying so that a wretched sinner like me could be saved and go to heaven. A wretched sinner like me who despised the love of God can now understand and experience the love of God in his life. Uh, I'm telling you one thing right now. There is no greater love that you'll ever experience or ever receive or ever accept than to accept the reality of the suffering of Jesus Christ for you and for me. So the accept, uh, we see that there was uh, false accusations, public humiliation, and then, of course, ultimately his physical death on the cross. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verses 1 through 3, Paul describes this matter of Christ dying on Calvary for us. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Uh, May we consider Christ tonight and what he suffered for us. When we talk about love, uh, let's not be overwrought with trying to comprehend this matter of physical love or emotional love or love that is in the world that is shallow and short-lived. Let's comprehend and consider the love that Christ demonstrated for us of the love of God that changes us and and illuminates our hearts and and gives us the intellectual ability to comprehend who God is because of the fact that he was willing to die on the cross. Greater love hath no man than a man lay down his life for his friends. And so the suffering of Christ. A.W. Tozer said this, Christianity at any given time is strong or weak, Depending upon her concept of God, I'm of the mindset. I think we as believers in Christ are struggling with our joy and and victory in our life, and really comprehending and enjoying the love of Christ in our life is because our concept of God has become so shallow. I can remember over the years of. Being a Christian and pastoring at different times how devoted and how committed people were to Bible study and devotions and and discipleship and longing and wanting to be in church to learn the word of God. But no, that's not the case anymore. And yet we have forgotten that our strength or our weakness depends on our concept of God. And our, our ability to be strong, committed, and devoted, and surrendered, and sold out for God is based on the fact that Jesus Christ came into this world and laid his life down for us. So there is no greater love. There, there is no greater experience that you can have in your life. Than to enter into this relationship of receiving Christ as your personal Savior. So, no greater love because uh, we were unlovely. It is, there is no other greater love because of the fact of the suffering of Christ. But also I see this: it's a great, it's great because of the accomplishment. Christ dying on the cross. Greater love hath no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. Why is there no greater love? Because of what was accomplished when Christ died on Calvary. What was accomplished when Jesus Christ gave his life? First of all, the access to God was made clear. In Romans chapter 5, says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look all the way from Genesis, man struggles constantly all the way from Genesis to Revelation with what? Genesis, Adam and Eve are in fellowship with God. They fall into sin and their fellowship is broken. God comes in the cool of the day looking for them and where are they? They're hiding from him and uh, there's a veil put over them as they would hide from the presence of God. The way to God was not clear. Uh, you think of the children of Israel and how they would have to bring in the uh, offering and the priest would have to go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. There's a great veil that separated man from God. You think of all the way through the scriptures where this veiled relationship Man has to endure and deal with because of the fact the way of God is not clear. But Jesus died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, the veil was written in twain. And now that man has free access to God. I'm telling you, there's no greater love than Jesus Christ dying for mankind because it made the way and the access to God clear. I'm glad that I can boldly come to the throne of grace tonight. You may be saying, I really am struggling in my life and I just don't think anybody cares. I'm going to tell you this, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And I'm telling you tonight that he loves you and he cares for you. And listen, he showed his love for you in that he died on Calvary and it accomplished the the desire of God to bring reconciliation of sinful man to a holy God. So the access to God was made clear. I see that when he died on, on the cross, that eternal life became a gift. And when I, I don't want to be theologically incorrect here, uh, in that uh, always salvation has been a free gift. In other words, when Jesus died, it didn't become something new. Uh, but I can tell you this, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the gift that I received for eternal life, was a gift from god and uh, romans 6 23 says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord and so eternal life is a gift i don't have to work for it you don't have to work for it i don't have to pay anything for it i don't have to try to accomplish anything for it why because Jesus died on the cross to demonstrate the greatest love that man could ever experience and be expressed to man, and that was that he died on the cross to make the way to the throne and the heavens above as a free gift. And so we see access to God was made clear, eternal life was a gift, and uh, then salvation is totally of Christ. If Jesus died on the cross, if there's no greater love than a man laying down his life for his friends, and Jesus is the one that laid down his life for us, then how in the world, how can we possibly come up with the idea that we need to do all kinds of good works in order to be saved? How can we possibly present a salvation that comes from some religious organization? How can we possibly say that the teachers and leaders and prophets and false teachers, whatever throughout the centuries, have a valid message for us when, wait a minute, there is no greater love than a man laid down his life for his friends. And so salvation can only be through Christ and Christ alone. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Acts 4.12 says neither is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No, no, Jesus said in John 10.28, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hands. And so this, there's no greater love to be able to experience than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary because it accomplished what god's will and god's desire was to reconcile man unto himself aw tozer said this any faith any faith that must be supported by the evidence of the senses is not real faith you know paul says we walk by uh, we don't walk by sight we walk by faith if you say well if i if i could just see a miracle then I'll have faith. You don't have faith. If I could just see that God could show himself or manifest himself to me in some way, uh, then, then, then I'd believe on Christ. No, you won't, because Jesus has already died on the cross. He already provided a sacrifice, and if you have to experience some type of of senses in your life in order to be saved, you don't have faith. And if you don't have faith, you do not have salvation. Some people say, well, I just, I need to be saved, but I just don't feel like I'm saved. Uh, well, that's not faith at all. I remember um, Dr. Whitfield, when I was in Bible college, uh, gave a testimony of a fellow who had started coming out to his church. It was a businessman. He was very business-oriented, very matter-of-fact. He had a huge company that he ran. He was used to dealing with facts and details and information and all that. And he called Dr. Whitfield and asked him if he could have an appointment with him. He wanted to talk to him about salvation. And so he set up an appointment, and then the fella, this businessman, came in, you know, dressed in a suit, business-like and all that, came in and sat down and told Dr. Whitfield, he said this, He said, you know, I've been coming to church here for a while, and he said, I keep hearing you talking about this matter of being born again. I'd really like to know what you mean by that. Dr. Whitfield went through the plan of salvation, just a simple plan of salvation, presented Christ as a sacrifice for that man's sin, and that he needed to have faith to believe that God would forgive him if he would call on his name. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that man said, well, you know what? I, I understand that. I appreciate you sharing that with you. I'd like to be saved. He bowed his head, prayed, and asked the Lord to save him. Got done. He said, got up, shook his hands, said, thanks a lot for showing me how to be saved. And was a faithful member of Dr. Whitfield's church for many, many, many years. Uh, what? Was there emotions? Was there a miracle? Uh, was there some uh, 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 revelation, special revelation of God? No, there was the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the amazing thing is this. All he needed to know that there's no greater love than a man should lay down his life for his friends. And I'm going to tell you that this evening, there is no greater love that you'll ever experience than to stop living By your senses, stop living by sight and start living by faith of the Son of God who gave himself for you. And so faith. W. Tozer goes on and says this. Faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. And I love that when I read that. Faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. Uh, When we talk about faith, we talk about salvation. All we're doing is looking to the cross and through the eyes of faith believe what the scripture says that Jesus did for us in laying down his life. And there's no greater love that I could ever experience than to enter into that relationship with God through that faith. And then Oswald Chambers said this, Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. People say, well, you know, that way of salvation, you talk about believing and then you can just be saved. I don't understand that. Yes, I understand that, that, that you're in a good position because it's not based about your intellectual powers and understanding. It's about faith. It's about faith and acknowledging that, wait a minute, if the Bible describes Christ dying on Calvary for us as the means of salvation for us, and that's the expression of God's love, uh, and here in his love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the appeasement for our sins. Well, I guarantee you, when I got saved, I did not comprehend that. I did not understand that. All I knew was when I got saved is that, wait a minute, I was a sinner. I was on my way to hell. I had no hope of eternal life. I didn't even understand what it meant about eternal life. And I just cried out to God and said, God, will you save me? I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die, but I don't want to go to hell. Will you save me? And you know what? God saved me. There, there, listen, there were no bells going off. There was no great church invitation being offered. Uh, There was no miracles taking place around me. It was just simply me and God talking with each other and me acknowledging the fact that Jesus died for me and God, will you save me? That's all you need. And you enter into a love that's greater than anything you can experience in this life. And so this morning we considered the basics of love. Tonight we considered there is no greater love And if love begins with and is is encompassed in everything that God is, how can you experience a greater love than God becoming man to die so that we might have eternal life? Uh, It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, And you say, well, I just don't understand it. Well, that's good because now you're starting to enter into faith. And you might not be able to comprehend it, but you can believe it because the Bible said it amen and so no greater love you say i just don't feel like anybody loves me i know jesus loves you you say i just don't really feel like my life is important it's important to god because god sent his son in this world to die for you and so you can experience the love of christ that is powerful and life-changing let's pray father thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight We'd ask you to bless us. I would ask, Lord, if there's someone that's really struggling with the love of God, that they might uh, just turn to Jesus. Uh, He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the sustainer of our soul. Uh, He is the redeemer, the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He is the one who has opened the door of the love of God to be shed abroad on our hearts. So I prayed you'd bless us tonight as we continue to surrender our life completely to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.